Two, two messages left in this series, today and next week. And if you've been following along, I hope you've been meditating and thinking about, thinking about what each one of these pieces of armor is and what it does as we live our daily lives in the midst of a supernatural, spiritual, real battle that is going on around us every day. Uh, we've seen that uh, our, Paul say that our battle is against is not against flesh and blood, but against the dark forces of this world. Uh, Not to say that we don't have conflict with people, it's that there is a much deeper reason why we have conflict with people. And it's evil, it's sin, it's darkness, and we need to recognize that on an everyday basis. Because if not, we will just be sort of a casualty of war. We will just float along in our happy little world that we have made up in our minds, and we will be a casualty of the spiritual battle that's occurring. Uh, Paul, uh, God has given us this armor. He explains it and describes it well. And it's not enough just to know about the armor. We need to put it on. And, and we need to exercise it. We, we looked at the belt of truth. Uh, we've looked at the breastplate of righteousness, which there were kind of two ways of looking at righteousness. There's the righteousness that God imputes into us that we can't gain on our own. God gives us that. It's part of the free gift of salvation. And then there is that practical righteousness, that everyday living, choosing right things, choosing, uh, making decisions that have integrity. Because we have been given the righteousness of God, shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. You know, so that we can stand. Three times, Paul says, that we, we need to stand. We need to stand against. We need to stand up to. And we see that we get the weapons or the, the defensive pieces to do that with. The shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. There is no greater peace than you can have in your life to know that you are a child of God. That he has chosen you. That he has saved you. That your name has been written in the book of life and there is no amount of doubt or fear that the evil one could try and put in your mind that changes that. We looked last week, actually two weeks ago, at the shield of faith. Satan's going to throw, launch, fiery arrows at us all day long. He's going to look for a weakness in our armor. He's going to check and see if our shields have gone dry. Uh, and we need to continue to soak them so that they put out the fiery uh, arrows that he launches at us. Last week, we saw the helmet of salvation and how that protects our minds, how that protects one of the most vital parts of, of our life, knowing that we have salvation. And then today, verse 17 of chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So this morning, we are looking at the sword of the Spirit, which Paul says is the Word of God. First, let's tackle the Spirit. So if you have turned to Ephesians chapter 6 and you're looking at verse 17 there, um, you will see that the word spirit in your English translation is capitalized. That is because Paul is referring to the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity. Uh, The Greek word is pneuma. The sword that Paul is talking about here is given and it is empowered in our lives by the Holy Spirit. 
That's from which it comes, the Word of God. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit in. Now, as we get started here, uh, when Roy did the, 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 the slides for this, uh, he suggested that there were 50. Are there 50 slides? Well, there's a lot. So sharpen your pencil, get your pen out, get your notes out, be ready to write, because I'm going to, not yet, but when we start rolling down the hill, you're not going to want to miss a passage. I, I told these guys, this, this, week, this week's message is a little bit longer than last week. Well, when you do a message on the Word of God, you expect there to be a lot of the Word of God in it, right? Amen? Okay, here we go. Um, so Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, 16, and 17 when he said this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit, capital S, of truth. The Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is leaving. He's leaving the planet. And, but, but he's not leaving us alone. He says the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who guides us, who strengthens us, who teaches us. Jesus told the disciples that even though he was leaving, they wouldn't be alone. We rely on the Holy Spirit as we fight the spiritual battle. That is where our breastplate of righteousness gains its strength. That's where our shield and we are able to hold it. We hear Jesus go on in John 14 to explain how the Holy Spirit will help us. 14, 26 and 27, Jesus says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It seems that Jesus is saying, we simply need to listen and trust the Holy Spirit as we live our lives every day. The Holy Spirit is obviously supernatural, not of this world, but in this world, to guide us and help us. We don't, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry about the future. Now, that doesn't mean we live our life in inaction. We saw that last week. But there is a level of trust. Our hearts need not be troubled. As, as long as we are living in the light and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it will be provided for us. The Holy Spirit is the source of the strength and the sharpness and effectiveness of our sword. Now, somebody was going to bring me a sword this morning, and I think you forgot. Did you forget? Come up here. No, I'm just kidding. Um. Yes, but I'll trade here. You take this one and I'll take this one. No. Um, so this is actually even longer than the sword that, that, that Paul is talking about. Um, and, and I had to put this in here phonetically. Uh, the Greek word is actually makahira. Um, that is this sword. And it was between 6 and 18 inches long. And it was what they always wore at their side probably on this side if they were right-handed, probably on this side if they were left-handed so they could draw it. I'm not left-handed, so it would be on this side. Um, and it was used with, for hand-to-hand -hand combat, face-to-face. -face. You imagine fighting that way? I mean, I just, I just, that would not be fun for me because I'm not a strong guy and I would probably lose. Um, but this, that's the kind of sword that they carried. It was the same sword 
that the soldiers were carrying when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the same sword that, um, that Peter used when he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. Um, it was a multi-use sword, and it, as we're going to see, was used for both defense and offense. They used it to fend off the swords and attacks of their opponents and to thrust forward and swing in the effort to do damage to their opponent. So how do we use the sword of the Spirit? It's pretty simple, I think. We, we pick it up <laughs> um, and we use it. You may have a Bible at home that is on a shelf or maybe collecting dust. Um, that's your sword. Don't leave home without it, so to speak. We need it. We need to make sure that it's at our side at all times, and we need to swing it. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 2 through 5, Paul says this, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. In fact, I'm coming to the church in Corinth, and I hope that I won't have to be, I hope that you under, have understood and are living differently than those who are of the world, who I have to be pretty strong against. Our standards are set by God, not by the world. Sometimes they don't make sense. Sometimes they, they don't seem logical. But we've got to trust them, because God knows best. We live by a different standard than those of the world. For though we live in the world, Paul says, we do not wage war as the world does. Let's remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood. And if we are fighting only against flesh and blood, we're not fighting the right battle. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. The sword of the Spirit especially fits this description. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I like that word picture. The sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. It's more than just words. There is power here. God empowers His Word in our lives. We demolish, verse 5, arguments. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You see, we have concern for, for, for where our country is and where it's going. Hopefully, spiritually more than any other. Where is our nation headed spiritually? Where is our state headed spiritually? Where is our community headed spiritually? Where is our church headed spiritually? Where is your family headed spiritually? I mean, honestly, I think, I think it's time that, that we wake up. I think maybe we've been sleeping. Uh, demolish arguments. Paul explicitly states to the church in Ephesus and to us that the sword of the Spirit is Scripture. It's the Word of God. And the Word of God has power and authority over us 
because it came from God himself. Now, if it was just written by a bunch of men out to, you know, make a name for themselves, then we shouldn't listen to it. But it wasn't, and we should. You see, the Bible was divinely authored by God himself. Scripture teaches many truths about itself, and some people say, well, you can't use that as an argument unless those things that Scripture teaches about itself have been shown to be true and right. And sometimes they say, well, archaeology proves this, or archaeology, like, uh, you know, we, we read that Caesar Augustus was uh, around the time when Jesus was born, and, and history seems to say, well, no, he wasn't. There wasn't a, 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 a Caesar Augustus there at that time, but after a period of time, they unearthed things, and archaeology finally found the evidence that said, well, actually, he was. I read just this morning that archaeology has discovered some purple material, some purple robes that are dated back to King David. We just need to be patient and wait. It will be found to be true. And, and I think that's true when, when it comes to our worries and concerns about the world that we live in today. God is in control. I'm not saying don't take action and don't, don't you know, have brisk, honest, gentle, loving debates about things that are going on in our world. I'm not saying don't do that. But there needs to be this sense of deep, take a deep breath and go, you know, God, God is moving. He's moving in great ways. We need to pay attention. And we need to join him in the things that he is doing. Our nation is ripe for revival. I mean, there are so many people in our nation that are feeling lost. Are we going to have answers for them? Are we going to be standing strong with, with what God is giving us here, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, to say, here's the answers to your questions. Here's the hope that you can have, even in a world that seems like it's falling apart at the seams. The the Bible was divinely authored by God. John Wesley said it this way. If you're a logical thinking person, the Bible must have been written by God or good men or bad men or good angels or bad angels. I think that covers about everybody. But he says bad men and bad angels would not write it because it condemns bad men and bad angels. And good men and good angels would not deceive by lying about its authority and claiming that God wrote it, if he didn't actually, right? So he sounds like he, I don't remember who was alive before or after him or C.S. Lewis, whether one read one, I'm sure, because C.S. Lewis says something similar. Uh, God was either a liar, or Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was who he said he was. That, that seems kind of the same thought here. And so, John Wesley says, the Bible must have been written as it claims to have been written by God, who by his Holy Spirit inspired men to record his words using the human instrument to communicate his truth. I mean, that makes sense to me. 
So God is the author. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? You should. 2 Peter 1, verses verses 20 through 21 says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And we know this to be true because when we read a prophet's words, we are told to test their words. Were they right or were they wrong? If they were right, they were a true prophet. If they were wrong with anything, I don't care how many excuses you want to make so that you can keep your name prophet, you're not a prophet of God. God is the author. It is inerrant and infallible. Psalm 19, 7 through 8 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. And if you look at that, you know, you see the Lord in all uppercase, small letters. We know what. What word is being translated Lord there? It's Yahweh. It's the name that God gave himself. The great I am. The law of the great I am is perfect. Refreshing the soul. Who hasn't read a devotion in a morning and went, wow, that just, that took away the anxiety I had this morning. That's not because your mind is just really spectacular. It's because the Holy Spirit is using the words that he gave that author to write in your life. It is inerrant and infallible. Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6 says, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. We have to be careful there. Uh, There are many scholars that that work really hard to translate uh, what texts that they have to, to English. And, and, and they wrestle over some of these things. But there are, I would say, cults out there who have changed it. You know, when they say, well, yeah, it says that in your Bible, but we have our own Bible. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We have a problem here. Um, so what scholars translated your Bible... And why did they leave certain verses out? Why did they do that? Or what is their understanding of who Jesus was? Was he the Son of God? Was was he God incarnate? Uh, Or was he just another man or another prophet? We have a problem here. And, and, And we don't know that we have a problem here until we know those Truths from the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. It is inerrant and infallible. It is complete. In Revelation, 
John, as he's on the island of Patmos, chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, he says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. See, we need to take the word of God as it is and understand it as best we can and live it. It is complete. Now, some people say, well, I would say that though John is talking specifically about the scroll of the Revelation, that it applies to all Scripture. It's all God-breathed. I, for one, am, am not too keen on adding anything or taking anything out, which is important for all of us. It is authoritative. Lots of people in our world today think that the that the words of God in this book have no authority over their life. What? I can just do whatever I want. I don't have to do what that says. Well, I mean, that's true. You do have a decision to make, and that's a decision that you can choose to make, but I don't think it's a wise one. Isaiah 1, verse 2, God says, Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken me. God is using the Israelites' middle name right there in that verse. <clears throat> They're in trouble. Sufficient for our needs, God's word is. Paul communicates to Timothy, look, it's, it's, good. it's sufficient for everything. For, for what we need to know, for salvation, for holy living, for correction, for discipline. It is effective. Isaiah 55, 11. God says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve, achieve the purpose for which I sent it. There we have instances where God speaks directly to people, and we have instances where God has given us his words. That's what we have here in our hands. It is determinative. It, in other words, what we do with God's word is evidence of our relationship with him. Uh, John 8, verse 7 says, When they kept on questioning him, Jesus, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, when we listen to God's word and we also obey it, it's evidence that we belong to him. I mean, if you didn't trust, if you didn't belong to him, you wouldn't trust him. You wouldn't believe him. And when we trust him and we, when we believe him, we must follow his word. Those who deny and contradict his word give evidence that they don't belong to him. So if you come across somebody that says, well, I don't, I mean, 
I've heard it said, well, I, I believe the Old Testament was the word of God. And, and there is a reason why we can be assured of that. Because when Jesus was here and he walked the earth, it was the Old Testament that he was teaching from. And he affirmed its truth and its validity. But then they would go on to say, well, but, but the New Testament, I don't know. It just, I think it was just a bunch of men that wrote it. And, and I don't see how, how that can be true because different men are pinning this from different areas of the world, from different time periods, and it all fits together. And it's, it, it's just, there, there aren't con- contradictions. If, if, if it was some guy here and some guy in Europe and some guy in Australia writing about some man named Jesus, do you think their stories would be different? I, I really think they would be. It is determinative. It, it is a sword that is a limitless resource and it promises an abundance of blessings to believers. And, and they happen. I've experienced it in my life. I know Many of you sitting here with us this morning have, and you would testify to the truth of what God says in his word. It is a source of truth, capital T. Oh, well, everything's relevant in our world today. Well, yeah, except for the word of God. You know, temperatures this morning, they're relative. You might think it's cold here, but if you were in Minnesota, you would think it's cold there. And if you were a Texan and you were in Waco right now, you would say it's really cold there. Last week, my daughter was at a Target store, and as she was coming out, the, they had winds. Winds were 15 miles an hour. And she's coming out of Target, and there's this lady coming in, and this lady goes, wow, that wind, you better be careful, it'll knock you over today. Brittany said, yes, it will. And she continued to go. You see, we often think of things in life as relative, but not the Word of God. It is. It just is. And it's authoritative in our life, and it's a source of truth. John 17, 17. Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. It is a source of happiness. Proverbs eight thirty four. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament, we have men and women testifying to the truth of what the writer of Proverbs is saying right here. In Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. What parent has said It's just easy. Just do as I ask you. Right? What parent has said, what what mom has said, I brought you into this world, I'll take you out. (laughs) There does come a sense of peace when we are obedient. And, And it's not just because we fear being disciplined, but because ultimately it's what's best for us. We may not like saying no to a particular relationship, Because it holds hope for us in our mind. But we know some details about that other person that say, you know what? I'm not sure he or she is a a believer. I'm I'm not sure that they, they would be a good leader in your life, in your marriage. 
but your mind says, oh, but it must be, it must be from God because it just feels perfect. Or, or maybe it feels right because Satan has gotten a foothold and he's shooting an arrow right into that spot of loneliness, that need for recognition or affirmation. And instead of trusting who God says would be the, the right person for you, you then begin to think that you know what's right for you. And those are hard decisions to make. But when we make the decision that honors God, there will be a lot less turmoil in our life going forward. Now, I'm not going to say there will be less loneliness because that's not necessarily true. I don't know what God has for you or anyone else, but I do know that you can trust him, whatever he is saying to you. Uh, God's word is the source of spiritual growth in 1 Peter 2.2. Peter says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. We need that to begin to grow, and God's word provides that. It is the source of power. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active. I love this. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We need that sometimes. It's a source of power. It's our source of guidance. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Sometimes that light only shows you the next step, but you can trust it. God's word is a source of comfort. In Romans 15, 4, Paul says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And hope is what? It's not wishful thinking, not biblical hope. It's a sure thing. The Bible was divinely authored by God. The sword, so the sword is a defensive weapon. <clears throat> All right, as we have been looking at the armor, each piece has really been given for our protection, protecting our minds, protecting our decisions, uh, protecting the things that we know so that we don't fail or waver in our spiritual battles. The sword is no different. It is also used in defense. <clears throat> now, something that many of us have been missing here lately because of COVID is a really good salad bar, Right? Who doesn't like a really good salad bar? I don't care if you don't even really like salad. There is lots of other things on a really good salad bar. And so you grab the plate and you walk through the salad bar and you're like, oh, that looks really good. And, and then you're like, no, no, don't like garbanzo beans. No, thank you. Oh, there's the cottage cheese. I really like cottage cheese. Put some pepper on it. Ah, oh, it's, it's really, really, really good. Um, so it's good, right? A salad bar. Oh, there might be soup. And, and you don't have to eat it. There, there, might be, there, there might be a vegetable soup, which you can get that in a can at home. Why would you eat vegetable soup at a restaurant? In my opinion, 
in my opinion. But if there's a good solid chili, or there's something else like a, a, like a, a tortilla something, Ty's Pit Stop makes a great, like a chicken tortilla something or other. It's really good. I found out the other day that I didn't think they had it anymore, the table that it's normally on. He's like, oh, no, don't you read the signs? I'm like, well, I guess not. <laughs> Just ask. We'll serve it up for you. Of course. Why didn't I recognize that? Um, <clears throat> but unfortunately, we often approach the Bible in the same way we approach a salad bar. We pick it up, we start reading it, and we're like, yep, I like that, yep, that's good, yep, that's true, I want that, I want blessing. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Did Jesus really say that? Did Jesus really say that if I forgive that other person, then he'll forgive me? Whoa, I don't like that. I'm just not going to read that anymore. That's kind of what we do, isn't it? We want to live our life a certain way, so we avoid those sections of God's word that say you shouldn't live that way. Or, or we don't want to live that way, and the word of God says we should live that way, and we're like, eh. It's just uncomfortable in our world today to, today to stand up against certain things. Even though the word of God says the truth and has authority, we, I, I don't remember, and I didn't research this, but there was a, a pastor of old who, who, I think it was the book of Hebrews, he just took it out. Nope, not doing the book of Hebrews. Whoa, I mean, I realize that in the, the organization of the canon of, of Scripture that we have, and we don't have time to go into that, but, but you know, this didn't just appear. At, you know, Jesus rose from the grave and, and they went in and they found that he was gone and they found the Bible. That's not how we got it. But the Holy Spirit oversaw that part of it as well. And, and we can talk about that another time. Um, there are others who are much smarter and know way more about that than I do. But here's the thing. We need to apply the whole counsel of Scripture. Not just what is easiest or what we like. And that's important. Because it's really, really easy and more comfortable to just say, eh, it's all relative. Just, you know, I want to focus more on the love of God, not the justice of God. I want to focus more on God's mercy in my life, not so much on the things that he's commanding me to do in my life every day. We must conform our thinking to the word of God, not the other way around. And I realize there's difficult passages to interpret and exegesis can be, can be troublesome sometimes, but if, if, there's a, if there's a place in Scripture that we don't really understand, then you know, maybe God didn't intend for us to understand it. Uh, my brother sat in across the desk from J.I. Packer. Many of you know who he was. He was a theologian and taught at Regent Seminary in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. And he was sitting across from the table from him, and, and uh, he said, Professor Packer, he said, I, you know, I just, really, I just really don't understand predestination. And, and I'm having trouble um, 
putting together predestination with, with free will. And I know what he was thinking. He's like, all right, this is J.I. Packer. I mean, he's one of the smartest guys on the planet when it comes to theology, and he's going to answer, answer this for me. And, and he said, J.I. Packer pushed his chair back, and he leaned back in it, and he took his glasses off, and he put them on his lips like this, and he says, I, and I don't know what accent he had, but I think it was British maybe, which I'm terrible at. <laughs> but this is what he said. It's just a mystery. You know, there are things that are just a mystery. That doesn't mean they're not true. It is a mystery. And I'm okay with that. Because a God who I can completely understand all things, is, is he really sovereign and, and all-powerful? No, he's not. Especially if I can understand it. Um, like a sword, a warrior carries the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's a strong defensive weapon. It defends against the lies of Satan and the lives of the herd and the group and the way that the river is flowing. Remember that. Oftentimes as Christians, we're, we're standing in the middle of that river and it's going that direction and wants us to go that direction. And, you know, if you think surrendering your life to Jesus Christ is going to make the rest of your life wonderful and easy, you need to think again because it's not. That's when the battle starts. That's when the fight begins. That's when Satan turns his scope on you. When you do what is right. We need to take note also that when Paul says um, word here, he's not referring to logos, which refers to general statements and messages. Like God is love, for instance. It's kind of a general statement. It's true. We see it all throughout Scripture. Um, Paul instead here uses the word rima, which refers to individual words or particular statements. In an act of love and grace, Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for my sin, for instance. Specific things that when you're being attacked and you're being, uh, Satan is intending to confuse you, it's not general knowledge of Scripture, but it's, it's a precision that comes from the knowledge and the understanding of specific truths. That's what Jesus did when he battled Satan in the wilderness. Uh, Satan said, since you're, the son, since you're God's son and you have the power to, it, it's no big deal, I'm sure. Uh, turn these stones into loaves of bread. I mean, I'm sure you're really, really hungry. Now, that's not a direct quote, but I'm guessing that that was sort of how the explanation went. Why not turn these stones to bread? And, and, and Jesus then, aware of the spiritual battle going on, answers in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus didn't need to prove anything. Jesus knew it was a temptation, and in that case, the wrong thing to do would have been to use his power to conjure up some magic trick for Satan. That's not what he did. Then Satan says, hey, he took Jesus to the top. Uh, they sat on top of the temple. And he says, since, since you're God's son, show me how well he takes care of you and just jump. And then he quotes scripture, Satan does, and he says, 
to, to the effect, I mean, he has placed you in the care of angels for crying out loud. They will catch you. They won't even allow you to stub your toe on a stone. Jesus answered him in verse 7 of Matthew 4, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. I mean, Jesus is saying this wouldn't have been a show of faith or trust in God the Father, but, but a test. It's like, if God is real, really real, I'm going to throw myself off the top of this building and he will save me. That would prove God is true, right? And real? I, I think it would prove something else, honestly. Uh, don't put God to the test. We face battles like this all the time, but do we recognize them? Do we confront the evil one that is behind them and, and, and with the sword of the Spirit? But Satan wasn't finished. For the third test, Satan took Jesus on the peak of a huge mountain. He gestured expansively, pointing out to all of the earth's kingdoms and, and how glorious they all were. What a sight that must have been. Then he said, they're yours, lock, stock, and barrel. I will give them to you. If you will go down to your knees and worship me, and they're yours. And I think, uh, I, just now, I thought, well, even if that was me, not Jesus, the Son of God, but even if Satan were standing before me and he would say, I'll give you all of this if you worship me, I, I'm kind of thinking that's kind of a no-brainer. Nothing in this world is worth turning my back from my Savior and worshiping you. But it doesn't happen that blatantly and obviously in our lives, does it? It's like, oh, wouldn't you like to have that new car or that new boat or that new house or that new property? Or wouldn't you like to go on vacations every year? And, wouldn't, and so in order to do that, I, you should probably work 16 hours a day, seven days a week and serve me, the world. That's more what it looks like in our lives. And we need to recognize that. We need to understand that that's what's going to happen. Jesus says in verse 10, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Specific statements, specific truths. We too need specific scriptural truths to counter specific statement, Satan statements. It's what makes our, our sword sharp. That's where Adam and Eve got lost in the conversation. Oh, well, he didn't really say that we die. Oh, really? Well, what did he say? Well, he's, I, can you see what he did there? Satan just twisted just a word or two and got him going down that road. They didn't stick to what God had told him, and that is why Paul told Timothy this in verse 15 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Uh, one other translation says, handling accurately the word of truth. Let's do our best to understand the truth that's in God's word through the, the illumination of the Holy Spirit and through other passages that are in our Bible that can also give us understanding of what we are reading and can, can shore that up. If there's another passage that's, that's clear, that clearly says this, 
then what, and, and it goes against what you thought this passage over here was saying, then there's something wrong with your understanding of this passage over here. We need to investigate that further. I, I know this takes time, but it's important, right? The word of God, that we handle it properly and correctly. Revelation 12, 11, they triumphed over him. Him is the accuser, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of of their testimony. We can win the daily battles for truth that surround our life. We can win the battles of wits and the battles of doubt and fear and questions in our everyday life through the power of the Holy Spirit and his illumination of God's word. We can trust it. We can train from it. We can know what God wants us to do. We can sharpen our swords. It is the word of God. He gave it to us. So let's pick it up and use it. Uh, The Bible was divinely authored by God. The sword is a defensive weapon. Not only is it defensive, the sword is also an offensive weapon. Not offensive, but offensive. Though if somebody stuck a sword in the right place through me, it would be offensive. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. I said it already. I want to read it again. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Satan wants to hinder any good that we would do. He wants to keep us mired in a pit of self-doubt and fear. But when we march forward with the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and illuminating in that in our life, we are able to stand. And I would suggest not just stand, but advance. Move forward. We see the light that it gives Each and every day we sense the power and peace as the Holy Spirit empowers it in our lives when we read it and meditate on it and when we know it. It doesn't just feel good when we're tempted by something or somebody has some sort of argument and and we know a passage by heart and we're able to repeat that. It it doesn't just feel good because, oh wow, look what I did. It, It feels good because God was using us as a testimony to the life of that other person. It changes sadness into joy and despair into hope and stagnation into growth. Our childness grows into maturity and our failures into success. God's word will not return void. He has put it out there and when we use it, when we take it up, It's powerful. Every time someone receives salvation because they read it, we see the power that's there. You know, uh, I don't know, next week or the following week, we're going to show a testimony from the Gideons. Normally, they're, they're kind of stuck at home, too, because of COVID, and uh, they're worldwide. They didn't have their normal banquet that they have for pastors this year. And, um, but we're going to hear a testimony, a testimony of somebody that 
and I say this tongue-in-cheek, simply read the Word of God. They weren't taught it. Nobody said, this is what this means. They read it, and God changed their life, changed their heart. It will not return void. Satan wants us to discount the power of God's Word and try to lean on our own intelligence and thoughts and feelings, and, and we like to do that too. But it doesn't help. It doesn't get us anywhere. He wages hard the battle on our trust in God's word. The sword of the spirit, that's what Jesus was referring to in the parable of the sower. Oh. Here we go. Matthew thirteen nineteen. Think about this. The, the parable of the sower that Jesus is telling, the seeds that are being sown is the word of God. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Satan's going to fight us here. We need to bathe Sunday mornings. We need to bathe prayer meetings. We need to bathe Bible studies. We need to bathe our everyday life as we go to the Word of God in prayer because Satan is right there wanting to get you to misread it, misinterpret it, deny its truth, live your own way. The seed falling on rocky ground, verses 20 and 21, refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall quickly away. Where do you think that trouble and persecution comes from? It's the spiritual battle. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. If Satan can get us to focus on problems instead of the truth and the power and the sovereignty of God, those are weeds, thorns growing up to choke out the truth. Verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word, understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. The word of God is the source of victory over our great enemy, Satan. And that battle wages every day. We must not forget that. No believer has an excuse for not knowing and understanding God's word because he's given it to us. We just need to submit daily to his instruction. Study it, pray it, investigate it, talk about it with one another. Pray through it, follow its instruction, and fight the battle with specific truth and knowledge. It's a journey. Are you on it? Or have you taken that bench on that corner and you're just kind of hanging out, thinking you're catching your breath, but while you're catching your breath, let's say you're in a boat on a river, which direction are you going if you're not rowing? Towards that great waterfall. H.P. Uh, Barker gives a, a graphic illustration as the worship team comes up that points to our need for both knowing and applying the, the Bible truths. Here's what what H.P. Barker says. As I looked out into the garden one day, I saw three things. First, I saw a butterfly. The butterfly was beautiful, and it would alight on a flower, and then it would flutter to another flower, and then to another, and only for a second or two it would sit, and it would move on. It would touch as many lovely blossoms as it could, but derived absolutely no benefit from it. 
Then I watched a little longer out my window, and there came a botanist. And the botanist had a big notebook under his arm and a great big magnifying glass. The botanist would lean over a certain flower, and he would look for a long time, and then he would write notes in his notebook. He was there for hours writing notes. Then he closed them, stuck them under his arm, tucked his magnifying glass in his pocket, and walked away. The third thing I noticed was a bee, just a little bee. But the bee would light on a flower, and it would sink deep into the flower, and it would extract all the nectar and pollen that it could carry. It went in empty every time, and it came out full. See, some Christians are like the butterfly, flitting from Bible study to Bible study or from sermon to sermon. Sometimes I feel like that. It's just like, man, I need to, this needs to soak in a while. And here I am seven days later with another one. A Bible study that, we, that I was going through with some guys, 14 days, and every day it was like, man, could, could we just take a week to think about this? But nope, nope, following the days by date. That's really not helpful. Um, That's more butterfly-like. Or others are like the botanist. They're studying Scripture carefully and they're taking copious notes. They gain much information but little truth. Others, like the bee, go to the Bible to be taught by God and to grow in knowledge of Him. Also, like the bee, they never go away empty. They never go away empty. Now, I'm not giving that illustration as judgment, but more reflection. The question is, what do you feel like? Do you feel like a butterfly? Do you feel like maybe the botanist? You got lots of knowledge, but you're just not a whole lot of obedience. Or do you feel like the bee? And, and you're, because if, if your initial reaction was, I really feel like the bee, Satan's going to try and tell you that you're really not like the bee. He's going to say you're not worthy. You're thinking too highly of yourself. God doesn't think that of you. Let's fight the spiritual battle. Wherever we're at in this, if, if, you're, if you're like the bee, be the bee. Continue to go in empty and come out full and, and, and study deep and grow. If you're like the botanist and you just have lots of information, what then would be that next step to take to go deeper and, and to begin to apply that information? Or maybe you've just sort of been flitting around out there. Maybe you're not even sure if you have salvation. Start there. What is the next step? Talk to somebody who knows. Talk to somebody who would be willing to share with you. Let's go deep. Let's trust and let's obey the word of God. It could get real, my friends. We could come to a place where we have to say, I've heard this about Canada. That if they preach against homosexuality, which God's word is obviously against, it's an abomination. Now, having said that, so is adultery. So is sex before marriage. Okay, they're they're sins. But my understanding that is in some places in Canada, if the pastor gets up on a Sunday morning and preaches against homosexuality, he can be imprisoned. Now, I pray that never happens here, but the question is, would we be willing to stand on the word of God and its truth if that meant three hots in a cup? Are we ready for that? Do you have your spiritual uh, armor of God on? Because we're going to need it.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your amazing love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And thank you that, that you say now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if we're feeling condemned and we know that we're in Christ Jesus, it's a lie from Satan. Help us to see that. Help us to fight that with your word. Help us to know which specific truths you want us to know to fight those battles that we have that we're staring down this week in our life or next week. And Father, I thank you for this communion table that is a great reminder of the fact that Jesus Christ came, gave up heaven, came as a man, was born, lived the perfect life, was crucified and on the third day rose again, conquering sin and death. So that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart as your word says, we will be saved. Secular historians wrote about the fact that Jesus walked the earth and that Jesus did what he did. Hundreds and hundreds of people saw Jesus resurrected three days later when they saw him dead on a cross. That's truth, and that's what we celebrate this morning as we partake of the the bread which Jesus said is his body broken for us as we remember that this morning and we celebrate that and as we partake and we drink of the cup which Jesus said represents his blood which he shed for us. May we celebrate, may we recognize that that is a big deal. That is, that is truth, and it is true, and he did that. And if anybody tries to convince us or to doubt that, we can go to your word and we can see that that's what you did. Thank you, Jesus, for that. In Jesus' name, amen.